Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back everybody to the Almost Sideways Podcast. We're so glad that you are joining us. This is episode 90. We've already made it to 90. This is kind of nuts. Um, we're recording August 30th, 2020 at about 2 o'clock Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Um, we wanted to start off this, uh, this podcast talking about really tragic news that kind of broke at the start of this weekend. And uh, that was the sudden passing of uh, Chadwick Boseman. Um, Todd, I'm going to kick it to you first. Uh, just kind of talk about that. Uh, well, it's weird because, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I'm not really a fan. I, I didn't think that he was a good actor necessarily, but even when we reviewed Defy Bloods, which I kind of ripped apart when we reviewed it, like, I thought he was electric, and I think that's his best performance he's ever given, and I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if he ends up being in the Oscar conversation at the end of the year, not just because it'd be posthumous, but because he is really good in it. And it, it is sad because he he did make a lot of interesting movies. I think I actually only give one of his movies a thumbs up of all the ones I've seen. But uh, he he's he always has these projects that are important projects, and I it, it really is upsetting and really sudden that he that he died at such a young age. Yeah, I'm kind of along with you. We're, we've always kind of talked. He's it's kind of an odd choice how he always ended up getting such, you know, such iconic roles. But I think you said it best that he was a very important actor for so many reasons. I mean, the fact that, that he passed away on Jackie Robinson day after starring in 42. And, and I mean, the fact that he, he is the, he is the black superhero. I mean, he, he is an important actor if nothing else for sure. Zach, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add that that, that uh, everyone else has also been saying. Um, shout out to the Adam Daily Podcast, excuse me, Daily Notes on the Adam Daily Podcast, who had a very moving tribute to Chadwick Boseman. He went into more detail about some of his movies. He's seen a lot of his movies. But yeah, this was a, a pretty horrific, tragic loss. I think I texted you, Terry, that uh, it, uh, th there's nothing good on, th th there's nothing good on this ship or... That, you know, Nothing on the spacecraft is good. Yeah, and that describes 2020. Um, I saw a, a tweet. I can't remember who said it, but um, it was a tweet of uh, I think a African American father, and he said that his son had had when he told his son about Chadwick Boseman's death. His son asked him, "Well, was was did he die of COVID or was he shot by the police?" And I think that that encapsulates the whole 2020 experience in one tragic nutshell. But I do think Black Panther is is uh, one of the most significant movies of this decade, um, and the you know groundbreaking in so many ways. First African American superhero from Marvel, and the first uh, superhero movie to get nominated for Best Picture, and it grossed so much money, and it's so beloved. And he was really the the face of of that character, and and really um, that franchise. So uh, tragic passing, but um, a great kind of iconic figure of this decade in the movies. Well, and like I said, he, he brought to life Black Panther, but also and Jackie Robinson, he was James Brown, he was Thurgood Marshall. I mean, it felt like if there was going to be an iconic a a performance by a young African-American man this decade, Chadwick Boseman was going to be starring in it. And, uh, and yeah, it, it just makes 
and the fact that he he made so many of these movies it sounds like in between cancer treatments i mean he's he's been fighting this for four years that i think that just completely changes the whole lens of his last four years of his movies of the fact that he was able to put out i mean like todd said potentially his best performance this year while he's fighting cancer it's just it's just amazing and i think um i mean there's a lot of artists that have gone too soon but especially because of the the reputation he had and the important roles that he had he's going to be an icon that's going to be uh remembered for a very very long time um and Todd said he might be in the Oscar conversation for *The Five Bloods*. I think he might be in the Oscar conversation for an honorary Oscar this year, knowing that his his career is is over and the just the like I said the importance of the work that he did this decade, um, as well as as being that that on the forefront there. He maybe the the humanitarian award or just an honorary Oscar for his body of work. I could see it happen this year. He has one more movie coming out this year, too. I think it's another Netflix movie, the Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with uh, Viola Davis. And I, I remember I had that on my Oscar predictions early in the year. So, I mean, I, I think that could be another one that that could be uh, a good last toast to, uh, to uh, the actor. Yeah, and I heard they were supposed to do some sort of, like, a press screening preview event online uh, tomorrow that they canceled to just kind of honor this weekend. And then for Northwest people, yesterday morning we find out Cliff Robinson passed away. Um, I mean, he was a little older. He was like 53, but I thought it was really cool yesterday to watch the Blazers as they were eliminated from the playoffs. They all were wearing black headbands in honor of Cliff Robinson, who was such a main part and such a fan favorite of those early to mid-90s Blazers teams. I hadn't even heard that. Oh, you hadn't heard that? No. Yeah, he, he passed away yesterday morning. I mean, it, yeah, it's the so before the first before the first game back in the NBA playoffs, they had a moment of silence for Cliff Robinson, Lou Olson, and uh, and Chadwick Boseman because he was a big NBA guy too. Um, so, just kind of a kind of a rough a rough weekend for sure. Um, in in those in those terms, but we're gonna continue on. Uh, we're gonna keep a. Uh, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep talking about movies. We're going to talk a little bit more about Chadwick Boseman a little later on as we're going to have a segment kind of in his memory. Uh, but before we do that, before we get any further, let's uh, let's start this podcast off the way it deserves to be started off. And that is, Zach, what are you drinking? And actually, I'm going to add a second question to this. What are you drinking? And what is the name of your fantasy football team this year? Okay, well, uh, I'm drinking something called Rita's Sangria Spritz because I was too lazy to go buy um, a serious alcohol, so I feel very childish. But, um, yeah, this this uh, can is pretty intense, too. Um, kind of reminds me of the days of Four Loco. You probably remember that, Todd. Um, anyway, uh, my fantasy football oh, yeah. team's name... My fantasy football team's name is Smudge of Excrement which is um, an allusion to Sideways by way of Bukowski, I think. Yes, yes. Zach's fantasy football team name is always uh, in reference to Sideways. We just had our fantasy football draft right before we started recording, so that's why, that's why we're bringing it up. Um, Todd, what are you drinking? And you're, you have an old standard as your football name, but, but go ahead and, and throw that out there too. Uh, 
I'm going fancy. I'm going. I'm drinking a Lagavulin single malt scotch, age 16 years, because I got it for my birthday, and I just hardly ever get the opportunity to use it in a sentence, or you know, to drink it. Um, but uh, my fantasy football team, as always, is named the Boucher Bombers, uh, which I mean I've had since I can remember, probably like maybe 2003 or something, like that I started using. It's the, been a long time. <laughs> the Waterboy reference there, so yeah. I, I just never changed it because why? Why at the why at this point? I think I've won the league like three or four times. So, but cheers. <laughs> yeah. So so I didn't know this. You have to be able to use the name of the scotch in a sentence in order to be able to drink it. Is that how it works? Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, it's not the bottle is gargantuan. Oh okay. There you go. No, another good word. Another good word. um so i've got um again ridgewalker brewing out of uh out of forest grove oregon um i have one of their one of their flagship brews it's the first one they've they've been able to can it's their haze walker hazy ipa um and it's a it's pretty good it's pretty good i like this one a lot um so uh so that's what i'm drinking and my my fantasy football team name where i always go with an apollo 13 reference um, hopefully this one will do do me a lot better than last year. I had the second pick in the draft because I was in 11th place, only ahead of Zach's wife, Sammy, who doesn't ever actually check her team and probably doesn't even remember she has a team. Uh, yeah, that's how bad I was last year. But my team name this year is um, Not Used to the Champagne. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, from the picture you put on there, I couldn't tell because it was so small. It almost looked like it was like Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I, I, oh. I could then, I then I was like, oh, the, okay, that's Tom Hanks. It's Tom. <laughs> it's Tom Hanks trying to block out the moon with his thumb. It's like that. That's like the drunkest thing to do. <laughs> so yeah, that that's my team name. Zach, do you approve? Uh, I approve. And 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 Sammy's team name is Sunken Place because that's the way she feels yes. about sports. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and she she's always. I mean, should we just rename last place the sunken place? Uh, I, well, you know, she, she's a, she's a good argument for why putting a stock into actually drafting a fantasy football team is sort of a pointless exercise because sometimes she does better than other teams. So, well, and she got the number one pick this year, cause, so uh, she's got uh, you know uh, Christian McCaffrey, so she may actually do okay. All right. Uh, Todd, uh, what did you, uh, what did you watch this week? Uh, so there are a couple of movies I wanted to talk about. One, I, I just got the, the chance to watch The Hunt, uh, which is the 2020 movie, one of the last movies released in theaters before, uh, you know, the shutdown, which is this crazy movie about, it's like a, a group of elitist liberals who kidnap a group of, you know, conservative deplorables and, uh, they hunt them for sport. And Betty Gilpin, Gilpin is the main character, and she is like a certified badass. She she looks and acts just like Jodie Comer does in Killing Eve. And the movie is nuts. It's like a battle royale esque, like biting satirical political action movie, and uh, it, it's really awesome. It's the, from the director of Compliance, and I didn't even know a whole bunch of the stars are in it. Hillary Swank's in it, Ethan Supley, and a bunch of random people. It doesn't pull any punches. It's funny and uh, and it's good. It's a three star movie. But my Nicolas Cage movie of the week was from also this year called Grand Isle. It was uh, his most recent movie, directed by Stephen S. Campanelli. And it's about this guy named played by Luke Benward, 
who has to fix uh, Nicolas Cage's character's fence, but he gets, like, uh, uh, forced to stay at his house because there's a hurricane that happens, and a bunch of weird shit starts going on. He gets, like, seduced by the wife, and you realize things aren't exactly as they seem. Nicolas Cage is, like, doing his perfect, like, Cameron Poe voice, and he definitely loses his shit a few times. Like, they really need to update that video on YouTube because he has this one part where he's just like, POUR IT ON THE RAG! And, uh, I mean, it's it's awesome. It's just great Nicolas Cage freaking out stuff. Uh, Kelsey Grammer's randomly in this. He's got the most exaggerated southern accent I've ever heard, I think. It, the movie's sort of like Straw Dogs. That becomes a horror movie. That becomes an action movie. And it's, like, so close to being good, but also really close to being unwatchable. Uh, I, I, so, I don't know. I mean, it, it's engaging, but, I mean, there's, like, 20 twists in the last 15 minutes, and it gets completely stupid. I, it should have been, like, an HBO miniseries or something. It's on Crackle, if anyone's interested. I'm giving it two stars. I have it, like, between, sort of, Kiss of Death and Captain Crowley's Mandolin, if, uh, in his rankings, like, unofficial rankings, <laughs> until I actually watch all the movies. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Yeah, Grand Isle. I, I never even heard of it, and you, you can see by the... It, it looks nothing like the, the cover would, uh, would suggest it is. Part disaster, part masterpiece, is that how you described it? Yeah, so it's two stars. So two stars, got it, okay. Alright, uh, I'm gonna go next. Uh, I will say, I haven't gotten to my anniversary movie yet. Um, it, it was, uh, I had to get it from, um, as my Netflix disc and it showed up Friday afternoon. I tried to watch it last night. I started it a little too late, so I'm going to watch, try and watch it tonight. I'll tell you what it is. It is, uh, Incendies, um, directed by Denis Villeneuve, which was nominated for foreign film 10 years ago in 2010. So I'm really excited for that. It, it looks pretty awesome. I watched like the first half hour, 40 minutes before I started dozing off last night. So I'm going to, you know, rewind it a little bit and go through it, but it's gotten re- it's got really great reviews, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that. The one I am going to talk about is one that came out on Netflix uh, last weekend, and uh, we sat down and watched this as a family uh, yesterday afternoon, and that is the one and only Ivan. Um, it's a uh, this is directed by Thea Sharrock, who this is her uh, her second film that she's directed after uh, Me Before You in 2016. And it was written by Mike White, uh, who I would say is most known as being uh, the real ne- uh, Ned Schneebly uh, in uh, School of Rock. And he wrote School of Rock. And, um, and he's also got a voice in this. So this is a story of, um, of a gorilla named Ivan who is the headliner of a, uh, an in-mall circus performance. And, um, and this cast is kind of ridiculous. It's uh, so... The ringleader of the circus, his name is Mac, is played by Brian Cranston. And then the voice actors in it, you have Sam Rockwell is Ivan. Uh, Philip Sue from Hamilton is a parrot. Shaka Khan is Henrietta the chicken. Uh, Mike White plays a seal. Ron Funches plays a, a rabbit that rides a fire truck. Um, Angelina Jolie is Stella the elephant. Helen Mirren is Snickers the poodle. Uh, you have Danny DeVito as Bob the Mutt, which kind of reminds me of Rocks from Lucas Talking Now. Very similar type of dog. Um, and then you also have, Zach, you're going to like this, Brooklyn Prince lends her voice to the baby elephant, Ruby, that comes along a little later. Um, and uh, this is such a sweet and just heartwarming movie. Um, 
you don't think I mean you're, you're thinking it's another you know talking animal movie how could can it can it how good can it be it's it's a straight to Disney plus movie but then you look at the cast you look at the pedigree it's got and it it just is a it, it's a great story of of these uh, these animals who are in captivity that are really well loved in captivity it's not like they're abused or anything but they long to be free and uh, and their kind of quest to try and to try and get there. So this is actually based on a true story that took place in Tacoma, Washington, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but uh, I'm giving it three stars. It's a it's a really sweet, heartwarming movie, and uh, definitely worth checking out if uh, if you haven't uh, had had a chance to yet. Zach, I knew you have Disney Plus. Have you watched the one and only Ivan yet? I have not. I mean, Brian Cranston is in it. And it, it makes it kind of worth it. Shaka Khan, Brooklyn Prince, all star cast, and Brooklyn Prince, yeah. It's it's an all star cast. I remember watching a trailer for this and like, really, really, this is our movie. Wait, all these people are attached to it. Really? Okay. Well, maybe this is worth checking out. And it was really good. Not so, exactly the kind of movie you would think Cranston and Rockwell would combine for. I know. I know. <laughs> And Angelina Jolie doesn't really do movies anymore, and here she is in in this straight to Disney Plus film, and yeah, I, and I was really, I mean, you had Danny DeVito as another as another mutt. I was really disappointed that the poodle wasn't Diane Keaton to just go complete full circle on Look Who's Talking now, but um, Helen Mirren does a good job too. <laughs> He's another mutt that didn't have a name at the start of the movie, even. Like he's get he gets named during the movie, just like he does in Look Who's Talking Now. His name's Rocks. Why? Because that's what he left on the back seat. I don't know why I remember that line, but wow. I wow. <laughs> All right, Zach, what did you watch this week? Okay, a couple things to report. Um, first thing is I I already kind of mentioned this, but uh, I did listen to uh, the uh, uh, daily notes on the Almost Sideways podcast. I have a lot of thoughts about that. I watched, I listened to it for the first time. I really want to do a deep dive of it because Adam is my MVP and my LVP. He's also my highest war and my biggest douchebag and biggest stick man. So it doesn't leave a whole That's lot. That's what of happens space. when it's a one man show. <laughs> well, no, 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 because I also had um, you know uh, my big Tim high ruler. Uh, uh, What's the other one from Pee Wee? Um, Weird Larry. Oh, Amazing Larry. Amazing Larry. Amazing Award Larry. Goes to the the guy that he had on from YouTube, the YouTuber that he had on as a guest star. That was the the random character I liked. That was a really great interview. I thought. Yeah, I I liked it too. Um, okay, in all seriousness, though, uh, the movie I watched this week was uh, actually a very serious movie. It was it's uh, Kevin Wilmot's latest movie. It is called The Twenty Fourth. And it is uh, streaming on a lot of platforms. I think it was supposed to get a theatrical release. Um, it tells the story of a relatively forgotten historical event in 1917, which was uh, a Houston race riots. And I did not know about this event um, at the at the time. It was it became was the, it became the the largest um, murder trial of all time. And uh, that's how Kevin Wilmot got the inspiration for the movie. He says he 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 found a photo of it and it said biggest murder trial of all time um and it's uh the movie stars trey byers who you might know from um empire is also a ku alum and uh he plays boston and boston is a uh african-american infantryman who's serving for the 24th uh u.s infantry regiment in houston it's the it's the only all-black infantry they want to fight in world war one but they can't because the the army uh, is still segregated 
So they are just kind of stuck there in this kind of recruitment and training facility. Thomas Hayden Church is in the movie. Shout out to uh, Jack. He plays uh, Colonel Norton, who's the white sort of head of that unit. Um, he has to sort of negotiate between um, the the black soldiers who, again, want to fight and this community that is just shrouded in racism, uh, controlled by this all-white police force, these uptight white citizens who are very wary of the idea of training black officers and giving them um, weapons. Um, and, you know, the first hour of the movie really shows the, the horrible treatment that these soldiers have to go through. I mean, they're fighting. They want to fight for their country. They want to defend what this country stands for um, in uh, Europe, and yet they're suffering all this discrimination and pretty horrific uh, abuse at the hands of these white citizens and the white police force. The second half of the movie kind of goes into um, the consequence of that. And I don't want to go too much into the detail about the movie because I think part of it, part of its effectiveness is, is not really knowing that much about the Houston race riots. I really didn't. So seeing it play out and not really knowing how things turn out, I think is a really effective device that this movie does. Um, simply put, this is Kevin Wilmont's best movie. Uh, I, I, I think he, um, he's, uh, well, okay, I'll just put the elephant out in the room there. He finally has a budget, okay? This is not, uh, and not that his movies, you know, looked that bad before, but this is a movie with, I, I would assume, a multi-million dollar budget. It looks really professional. It is beautifully shot. Uh, there are, uh, you know, shot on location. It's not uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, sadly, but um, it, the acting is excellent, cinematography outstanding, and uh, I think it, it elevates it. He says that he's sort of parlayed the funding for this film uh, with his Oscar win for uh, Black Klansman. He actually wrote the script to this movie back in the early 2000s, but his agent said it was unfilmable, in part because most people um, wouldn't, uh, the agent said, most people wouldn't want to watch a movie that about race, racial tension and violence that would make audiences feel uncomfortable. Of course, now we're living with that reality every day on our TV sets and in our streets. And so this movie has, I think, a perfect uh, re uh, resonance with what happened this week with Jacob Blake, but also George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And so the, 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 the timing is perfect for this movie, um, sadly, I guess you could say. Um, this movie is uncomfortable, but one thing that Kevin Wilmot is so good at is, um, and I've seen this in all of his movies, he takes these sort of historical episodes that kind of get forgotten. They, they're not really explored that much, and um, you kind of feel the moral complexities of, of the characters in this movie, particularly the, the Trey Byers character, Boston, as he's again he uh, is sort of an outsider in some respects and um, he's uh, you know a very consequential figure in this story so he's excellent in the movie this is a three and a half star movie I think this is one of the best movies of the year I would encourage everyone to watch it this is uh, Kevin Wilmot at his absolute best there's no real kind of levity that you would would have seen in like Black Klansman or Defy Bloods this is a very serious movie much more somber than those other two movies but um, again a really really accomplished filmmaker and writer Very nice. Very nice. I still say you need to get him on the podcast, man. Well, seeing as he he's come out with two movies in the last, like, two months, I, I would guess he's pretty busy nowadays. But maybe he doesn't have anything to do because he's uh, quarantined. So maybe maybe it's possible. He'd do it for you, man. He'd do it for you. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on from that and get into our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And our featured review this week is a brand new Netflix film. Just came out on Friday. Uh, this is called All Together Now. Is everyone ready? 
Yes. Okay, stand up, stand up. Hit it, Father Chi. Hendrix, Fox and Fox. Hey, Amber. Hey. Hey. Hi. Have you hooked up with that boyfriend of yours? Sure. Youth is precious, so you should enjoy it. So, for the variety show, Ricky's gonna do a pun off. Put me down as Lingo Star. I love it. Uh, Mr. Franks? No. What? You are on All the world's a stage. The end. Right? Is that what it is? I don't know. I have work to do, guys. So, I've been trying to text you, but I keep on getting delivery failure. Mom? I'm sorry. We're gonna be okay. I'm gonna aim low, Mom. We're gonna be spectacular. Just my girl. Mr. Franks, can I show you something? Whoa, you're being asked to audition at Carnegie Mellon. That's incredible! Mom, what's going on? They found out I got fired. Amber, we're gonna figure something out, all right? What's going on here? Donna says I can stay here for a few nights. Absolutely not. I'm the mother. I'm the one that keeps things together. Really, Mom? I'm doing my best. Mom. We can start over. Life is so much more complicated than you think, baby. The pain that you're feeling, channel it, put it into your song. That's what an artist does. And you, you're an artist. You do so much for other people. Let us help you. I don't need it. What is so bad about needing help? You expect the rest of us to watch you go down the drain, and that is not fair. Not fair? Amber, you are suffering, and you won't admit it. Just leave me alone. I can't audition, Donna. Amber, honey, no, you can't throw everything away. Amber, think of it as a gift by letting us help you. I care about you. All of these people care about you. And this is directed by Brett Haley. And um, based on a, a YA novel called Sort of Like a Rockstar. Um, <clears throat> Brett Haley, if I remember right, looking at here, uh, has directed some other things like Hearts Beat Loud and, um, and All the Bright Places. This is a movie that is starring Ali'i Cravalho. I think I'm saying that right. I ha have no idea if I'm saying that right. Uh, she's best known as being the voice of Moana before this, um, who I still can't believe she voices a 16-year-old because she just has an amazing voice. Uh, anyway, so she plays a high school senior that is, um, her name is Amber, and she is very involved in a lot of different stuff at her school. She is, uh, she helps raise money for different things. She's involved in the arts heavily. She's just an all-around great student that everybody kind of loves. Um, but her family's going through some tough times, and her and her mother are living in a school bus. And, um, her mother's going through some really hard times and some really rough times. And, uh, and so we get to see kind of the, the ups and downs of life. Um, there's some tragedy that, that strikes at some point and how the community around her helps pick her up as she's someone who is always helping others but doesn't know how to accept help from anyone else. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a high school dramedy. Um, it's fairly predictable in how it goes. 
However, it's kind of impossible not to love and get into the story of it and and really appreciate what's going on. Um, there, there's some great, uh, kind of like the one and only Ivan. It's kind of got a great cast uh, secretly, where you got Fred Armisen as the uh, as like the drama teacher. Um, you've got uh, Todd. I couldn't believe it, but Masuka himself, C.S. Lee, was the priest at the uh, at the ESL classes yeah, she was he, teaching. He had no lines. He was in two scenes. Yeah. I, I don't know what's more yeah. random, that or seeing Walter White throw a pizza. <laughs> I can randomly in the movie. <laughs> I was going to say, the thing I never knew I needed in my life was watching Carol Burnett watch Breaking Bad. I didn't know I needed that in my life, but after watching this, it makes my life is now complete that I've seen Carol Burnett watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah, Carol Burnett's in it as well. Uh, she has a, a great uh, small part in it. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. The one, one of the few things that I'll say I, I wish... I wish was different is I wish we would have gotten to hear Amber sing more because like I said she has an amazing voice the best scene is the scene where she sings her song and I want I wanted to hear more of her uh, just because I know she's incredibly talented the whole thing was was shot in Portland which was another thing it had going for it anyways I love this film three stars great just kind of feel good high school dramedy um, and it's, like I said, predictable, but kind of impossible not to be charmed by. All right, Todd, tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Well, I don't entirely disagree. Like, okay, I, I think Brett Haley's sort of a versatile director, but all of his movies, they just have this, like, huge heart. Like, I'm, like you were mentioning, Hearts Beat Loud, that's kind of a similar feel to the movie, and that one's good. The hero with Sam Elliott is more somber, kind of. Like, I'll See You In My Dreams is more of, like, the adult version of Having a Big Heart. And I've never seen his Netflix movie earlier this year, but this is like a PG version of like Dope or uh, or like Goodwill Hunting or something, or like where it's like you are overcoming obstacles and proving people wrong with just like your raw talent sort of thing. And I wish the movie had some bite though. I mean, it, but it is like completely toothless. It's like watching a serious episode of Saved by the Bell or something, which. Isn't isn't bad, so it's still watchable. It, I don't know. It, it's kind of weird. It does get pretty ridiculous as as the movie goes along, though. And I don't know what it's exactly trying to say. Something about like your blood family versus your given family, or like not having too much pride in yourself that you can't ask for help. I'm not really sure what the actual message is, but I don't know if that's necessarily that important. The one song that she sings at the beach house uh, feels like home is a really good song, and I, I think that could be uh, an Oscar contender. Uh, the movie is just so earnest that it, but it has no, it takes no risks, and the stakes are so low that it's hard to really love or hate. Like, I mean, other than the dog, I think my favorite part of the movie was Renzi Feliz, who plays the friend or boyfriend. It's hard to say if he's actually a boyfriend. I think they probably hooked up at that beach house, but I can't really tell. Uh, I'm guessing yes. Uh, the movie is fine. <laughs> it's soapy. It doesn't overstay its welcome, and I think the lead, she's like a young America Ferreira. I think she's pretty good. It's a two-and-a-half-star movie. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. It was exactly what I was expecting, and I guess it's not a bad thing. Yeah, I will say I'm really interested to see what uh, Ali'i Cravalho turns into once she's no longer a teenager. Like, when what that transition from being kind of a the teenage high school kid to being an adult, what that looks like for her. I think it'll be a really interesting career arc to watch over the next uh over the next decade but um yeah zach where are you at on this one 
Yeah, I'm uh, more with Todd on this one. I give this a thumbs down. I think I actually, probably the three of us, uh, dislike this movie the most. Um, I echo a lot of what Todd said. I think this movie is, like, kind of terrifyingly earnest, which I think is the way that Roger Ebert described uh, William Miller in, in Almost Famous, which I, I sort of can understand, you know, I, I would, like, describe this movie as it. It's just, it's a little frightening how earnest this movie is. It tries desperately. I mean, it really, really wants you to make us fall in love with, oh, you got the name so right, Terry, Ali E. Cravalo. Um, and uh, I yeah, will say... Yeah, you did not. <laughs> I, I know, I'm, I apologize. And I do feel bad because I feel like it's kind of similar to the uh, younger actress from Project Power a few weeks ago. She is the best thing in this movie. I mean, she is a bona fide superstar. She is will be on the lists of actors to watch out for break it big in the next decade She'll probably win an oscar someday um but she's great in this movie she gives a great performance and she does have a great singing voice uh i do wish that we had had a couple more numbers with her the problem with this movie isn't her the problem with this movie is that on the one hand it wants to be an episode of glee or high school musical on the other hand it has this uh actually pretty interesting uh, kind of complex story about this mother daughter who are homeless and the the mother is is an abuse uh, a victim and she's also a recovering alcoholic and she's you know struggling in a lot of ways and their relationship is really volatile that should have been a different movie okay let's get a different director in who can maybe shoot this on like grainy film stock give it a much more gritty in your face look because that is an interesting story that i would have liked to have seen treated a lot more seriously this movie treats it as sort of this comic side plot and the way that it's resolved and i guess i could give a spoiler but the, but the, but the way that, that that part of the movie resolves itself with the mother is so in the service of the high school musical version of the story. It's like we don't want to adequately deal with this complex drama, so we're just going to end it abruptly and unfairly and just move on to the other part of the movie. It's like, come on. You have a you have a potentially dramatically rich and, and resonant situation. Why why throw that away? Why, why opt for the Disney shit? I was very disappointed about that. I also thought the dog getting sick. I mean, I agree with you, Todd. I like the dog, although normally I'm not a big Chihuahua fan. But uh, that also felt like such a plot contrivance come on this movie i will i will give props to this movie for somehow combining the three biggest uh stereotypical climaxes for teen movies the talent show the fundraiser and the audition all looped into one final scene uh congratulations with that and uh yeah this movie this movie was pretty disappointing i'm sorry to say but but that actress cravalo i'm not going to try to say her name one more time but she's great she deserves a better screenplay Oh, also, yeah, I think movie- the thing I knew oh, her most from was 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 singing her song from Moana at the Oscars, and that was the first time I actually was like, oh, yeah, okay, she's different. <laughs> yeah, she she is awesome. I I think she'll be a great actress. Yeah, she's definitely one of those actresses that whenever she's on screen, your your attention is drawn to her. Like she just has that magnetic, uh, that magnetic vibe to her for sure. Yeah. I just want to add a couple more things. One is, can we get a better title than All Together Now? I, I, I struggled to remember the title of this movie while I was watching it. And um, the other thing I will say is, I was a fan of Brett Haley's earlier film, Hearts Beat Loud, which in some ways shares some similarities with this movie. 
because it is also about a complex father-daughter relationship. Um, I don't think it's quite as dark as the relationship in this movie, but I think that movie did a better job of handling both the kind of musical uplifting part with the uh, very candid and truthful dynamics of that parent-kid relationship. So Brett Haley should have looked for that uh, as a better example. I think it would have it would have gone better if it had just stuck with the book title. I like that title better, sort of like a rock star. I think that's a there we go. That's, that's a much, much better. better title. Agree, absolutely. <clears throat> all right. Well, we're we're all kind of kind of in the same spot. We none of us think it's a disaster. None of us think it's a masterpiece. But I think it's definitely at least worth a watch. It's on Netflix. It's easy to find. All together now. I'm giving it three. Todd gave it two and a half. Zach, what'd you give it? Two. Okay. Averages right, out so, to yeah, it's on two and a half. So perfect. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's on Netflix. It's a. Uh, it's worth checking out. Uh, I would say it's worth checking out. And even those that say thumbs down, I mean, if you got an hour and a half, turn it on. It, it's at least entertaining to watch. Um, Carol Burnett is worth watching whenever she pops up in anything because that doesn't happen much very, very often. I will say. All right thinking about it though there's a reason she was watching breaking bad because amber is very similar to walter white i mean think about it if walter white had just said yes to elliot and gretchen at the very very beginning of the show Mm. i mean it but but he was too proud to accept help amber's too proud to accept help which leads to the whole you know the whole thing coming down the coming down at the end because so she, i think they're they're very similar characters she didn't accept her friend's mom's uh, makeup as a gift is that what you're saying well and and or the offer from from the boy to to help pay for things i mean he she just doesn't want help and and that's and but instead of you know cooking meth she cooks donuts i guess so there you go there's one difference she is the one who knocks uh yep so less like saved by the bell more like breaking bad i <laughs> yeah i follow if it's combined breaking <laughs> bad and saved by the bell you have all together now oh <laughs> uh, if walter white were a high schooler in saved by the bell that's <laughs> well, you, right. know, you know her teacher was right. fred armiston um, so you know with the connection to Portland, I, I, I think thing he that was th- underexplored in this. Yeah, movie, I feel but. like he was just, I feel like he was just in the movie to like give them a tour of Portland because he knew where all the good shooting locations were. Yeah, the, the, I read that they they shot in a lot of the same spots that they shot Portlandia in. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on now. It is time for our spotlight segment and our Mount Rushmore spotlight. Uh, like I said, we we're going to come back to the topic of Chadwick Boseman uh, later on, and now's when we're doing that. Um, we could have done like a Mount Rushmore of Chadwick Boseman performances, but I feel like that his filmography is not very long, and I feel like we would have come up with it would have been a very predictable list. So we went for something a little broader. Um, like we said before, over the last decade, pretty much if there was a, a biopic made about a young african-american male chadwick boseman was starring in it whether it was thurgood marshall or jackie robinson or or uh, james brown so what we're doing is we're going to do a mount rushmore in honor of chadwick boseman a mount rushmore of black led biopics so a biopic true story about um 
a uh, a black figure. So that's what we're going with. That is our that is kind of our, our overarching topic here. Um, Todd, I'm going to give it to you first. What is your submission? So in a lot of ways, I feel like Chadwick Boseman took over the reins in that regard from Derek Luke. So I'm going with Antoine Fisher, which was uh, Denzel Washington's uh, directorial debut about a Navy sailor who has to go to a psychiatrist and then have sort of come to grips with his upbringing. And it's I think Denzel's a really good director, and this is a I don't know I think it's an underrated, probably underseen movie. Uh, and Derek Luke is amazing in the movie, and it's a really just a really interesting look at at that at that kind of life. And uh, I, I haven't seen it in quite a while, but I remember really liking it uh, the once or twice that I watched it, you know, a while back. And uh, that, that that was one of the first ones that came to my came to mind because yeah, I feel like Derek Luke and uh, Chadwick Boseman have a lot in common, and that sort of uh, went into my choice, I guess. Right. I have not seen Antoine Fisher. That's one I'll have to check out. All right, uh, Zach, you're next. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one, Todd. I, there's also a really good backstory to that movie, which I believe the real Anto- Antoine Fisher was trying to sell that script for like 20 years, and I think he worked as a security guard at a studio, I want to say. Maybe I'm butchering that, but um, huh? that's, a re- that's a really good choice. I haven't seen that movie since it came out, but I remember really liking it too, and really powerful performances and cool story um okay my my vote also comes from the early 2000s um a movie that was one of my favorites of 2004 when it came out and that is badass directed by mario van peebles which tells the story of the making of the film sweet sweetback's badass song which was directed by mario's father melvin van peebles and mario actually plays his father in the movie and there's actually a younger actor who also plays uh younger mario um i love this movie i think this is one of the best movies ever made about filmmaking but it also points it also looks at being a black filmmaker in the early 70s there weren't very many of them um and uh, the, the, the hardships that uh, Melvin Van Peebles had to go through to produce a movie that he ultimately had final say over. There was no studio interference, so he had to sell it as a union-free exploitation movie that was disguised as a porno also. Um, really fun movie. Again, great portrait of the filmmaking process, great performances, definitely some sort of interesting psychological undercurrents to the, to the story, and it's a really kind of great underdog story too, this movie that really was financed independently and uh, really kind of put thrown together together by amateurs in a lot of ways um made into one of the great iconic movies of uh the 70s not just black cinema but all all movies in the 1970s so really cool movie badass check it out early good early role by rain wilson too that's a that's a good choice i, I hadn't even thought about that but that yeah i, I like that a lot I, i've seen the original and i've seen the and badass and both are very interesting different kind of movies yeah All right, all right. Um, I have not seen that one either, so this is an interesting Mount Rushmore we're putting together. All right, my submission. Okay, do I go with the low-hanging fruit, or do I go with... You guys are going with niche ones, so I think I'm going to go with a a niche one for me too. Um, It's one I didn't think of um, immediately, but then as I looked around my office here, I have the poster up, so I feel like I should probably mention it and go with it um, it, it's, it's one kind of, that's kind of got some nostalgia for, for Todd and I, cause we watched it a lot when we were, when we were younger. It's one of our dad's favorite movies. I'm going with, uh, Men of Honor from 2000, starring Cuba Gooding Jr. Wow. and Robert De Niro. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays Carl Brashear, the first, uh, Navy, un, uh, deep sea diver. 
Um, and uh, and it's it's um, it's a really it's a really great story of him kind of working through this this system that you know is not set up for his for his success, and he works harder than everybody else to get there. Um, and uh, it's it's a really great. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie, but it's a it's a really really great movie. And then he goes through a whole a whole point where what, he finally makes it to be what he what he wants to be, and he has an injury that almost derails his entire career. Um, Robert De Niro plays the plays his uh, his drill sergeant that ends up uh, that is super tough on him because that's what that's what he is. You have a another kind of crappy performance from Hal Holbrook in it. I guess that was kind of a thing for him in the early 2000s. Um, Michael Rappaport pops up with a great performance in it too. Um, it, it's it's kind of a weird one. It's It was a kind of a popcorn movie, but I think it's a really great inspirational story, and it's one that's kind of forgotten about looking back on it uh, nowadays. So uh, Men of Honor, that's what I'm going with. I like it. I when the way you were describing, it, I really thought you were going with Remember the Titans. <laughs> oh, I I I could have gone with that too. I could have gone with that too. That may have been a better pick. But yeah, I haven't seen Men of Honor in a long time. But uh, I mean, I know De Niro is awesome in that. And uh, uh, yeah, interesting pick. This is not going the way I thought it was going. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Me neither. I was. I had other ones on my list. But I'm like, guy, you guys are going with ones I've never seen before. I'm gonna go with a random one too. Have you seen Men of Honor, Zach? I have, but it's been too long for for me to. The only, the only thing I can remember that isn't there a sequence where they hold their breaths underwater. Yes, that's the only thing from that movie I remember. Uh, the the last the last scene in the in the courtroom where he has to, he has to walk around on his prosthetic leg in the in the suit. That's just uh it's it's good. It's good. Um. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, this is a real this is a really strange list so far. So we've got Antoine Fisher, we've got Badass, we've got Men of Honor. What are we gonna? I mean, are we gonna go with one of the more mainstream ones? Like the the low hanging fruit I felt was Ray. Like that's like that that's a pretty iconic one. I mean, Jamie Foxx won the Oscar for it for a reason. Um, another another one we could do Selma with David Oyelowo as MLK. Um, I think. I still think that um, Ali is Will Smith's best performance in portraying Muhammad Ali in that. The movie, not as much, but he's amazing in it. What do you guys think? Well, all, all three of the choices so far are from 2000 to 2004. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The other ones that I was I was considering were uh, Straight Outta Compton, which is more recent, obviously. Hotel Rwanda, which was right in that the same <laughs> era that we've been talking about. The Hurricane and hidden figures and 12 years a slave and so but yeah i i forgot you could consider 12 years a slave as a part of this that's a good call any of those that would be fine with me yeah i had had just two more i thought also about straight out of compton um i also had uh just mercy i know todd's not a huge fan of that movie but i think it's a really good uh biopic from last year um actually a movie that i think touched a lot more audiences than than we would maybe uh believe and uh, i would also put bird the forest whitaker movie um so uh charlie bird barker so that's an awesome awesome movie directed by clint eastwood uh two others i had written down uh american gangster I oh mean, yeah I, denzel washington i mean todd said that that chadwick boseman took over the mantle from Derek luke i mean 
Denzel Washington is the one that created the mantle. So, <laughs> I, That's true. so with Hurricane, American Gangster. The other one I thought was uh, Invictus, where you have uh, Morgan Freeman playing Nelson Mandela. I always like that movie too. You also have Malcolm X. Yeah, I we mean that's. That. I I haven't seen Malcolm X, which is why I didn't mention it. But yeah, that's another, that's another huge one that you could that you could say. I feel like it's wrong if. Well, I guess Denzel is on it because Antoine Fisher. But I was gonna say it's wrong if Denzel isn't on this list. So the the real question, and I think this happened last time too. What's a movie that all three of us have seen, and we can't pick the informant like we did last time because the last <laughs> I saw, it's not a black biopic. Well, now that he said it, I think we have to go 12 Years a Slave, don't we? I mean, I thought that was definitely going to be said <laughs> before our honorable mention kind of thing, so yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I, I'd... I mean, yeah. it was on Terry and my top 10 movies of the decade list, and... Uh, and yeah, Adam's something too. Sort of hard to yeah. argue with that one. If if you were to put a Chadwick Boseman uh, performance on this list, which one would it be? Performance or movie? Movie, movie, movie. Well, uh, forty-two. I'd pick forty-two. I I mean, well, he's not he's not even the main character in the Express, but I think that's the best of his biopic movies. But for, um, forty-two is probably probably the best one where he was the actual lead is it bad that i haven't seen 42 yet that's really bad you actually yeah, and know. you like baseball too terry i know i know <laughs> does he really the, the only one the only one of his biopics i've seen is uh is marshall and i actually i actually really liked him in marshall i thought that was a really good movie too but um so i guess i'd have to say that one since it's the only one i've seen i've got some watching to do for uh to catch up on some of this stuff. He's really good in Get On Up, but, I mean, the movie's not so much. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Oh, and, by the way, I hadn't mentioned this yet. Uh, after last week, and, and Zach gave me such praise for having Traffic on in the background while we were talking about Traffic, um, I've got Black Panther on behind me here. You can kind of, you guys can kind of see it, so I'll try and scoot over a little so you guys can watch some Black Panther while we, while we talk. There we go. Nice. There we go. All right, just kind of there, there. Now you can see it. I, I know this is this is coming across great on the audio feed. Is you know, <laughs> l- yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. Power rankings time. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Todd. You uh, you had our, our topic, because you won last time. Uh, what are we talking about? Uh, so I went a little off the board on this one. This is way way less like objective and way more speculative and stuff. It, I'm going with the movies that we most want to see an actor and a director combine for in the next ten years. So, we're, uh, I mean, it could go with, like, you want your favorite actors to group with your favorite directors or you could just find the right combination of actor director that haven't worked together before or that you want to see reunite uh i'm interested to see what we all uh come up with because when i was creating this list i thought it was going to be really easy but it ended up being a lot more random and more difficult than i thought so uh this i think this could be fun (laughs) yeah todd thank you for coming up with the impossible uh the impossible one to predict for adam once again 
This is this is insane. Well, when Adam changes the rules for himself, it's impossible to predict anyway. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, all right, Zach, you're going first on this one. Yeah, this this is the this power rankings is like the Nicolas Cage movie that Todd watched. It's either like brilliant or unwatchable. <laughs> so maybe it'll fall somewhere in that range. I took this uh, I, 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 very much open, like for interpretation. I asked Todd how how detailed I could go. So mine was mine. Ultimately, ended up being more probably about the stories than the than the actor director pairings. But I'll just you know spout, spout off some some movies I'd like to see in the in the twenty twenties. Okay, my number five is um, I want to see a uh, romantic comedy, and I want this romantic comedy to star. Jimmy Fallon and Nicole Kidman, and I want them to reenact how they almost went out with each other in the early 2000s. So if you're familiar with this, you know, YouTube clip, uh, Nicole Kidman was on the Jimmy Fallon show, and they talk about this one incident that happened where uh, she got invited up to his apartment to maybe talk about him being cast in Bewitched or something. Um, and she like tried to like get his phone number. She tried to like gate because she you know she had broken up with Tom Cruise at this point, and uh, Jimmy Fallon never really got the signal. And um, you know it, it makes for a great YouTube clip. And then later there's another YouTube clip where she talks about another time that she tried to give him her phone number, and he just sort of like inadvertently said said no. So. Um, I want to see that as a movie, and I would also say that um, it, it, Naomi Watts could co-star, Keith Urban could co-star, uh, Kate Hudson could co-star because she also wanted to go out with Jimmy Fallon, and he turned her down inadvertently. And um, it's directed by David Fincher because one of the places where they met up was a party at David Fincher's house. I'm sure that is nothing like what you wanted this list to be taught, but I'm That's just okay. going off of, I'm going stream of consciousness, so. That was fascinating. How, why were they at Fincher's place? I don't know. Well, uh, Jimmy Fallon didn't even remember the party, but Nicole Kidman said, no, it was, it was at David Fincher's house. So, there you go. Is that more of a comment on just how much Jimmy Fallon tended to party in those days? Well, it's, it's really funny because she says that when she went over to his apartment, all he had in his house was a video game system, sneakers, and cheese. And, and that was like it, which sounds very much like Jimmy Fallon. It does. I want to know how Fincher is directing this. Like, I feel like Fallon should probably direct it. But, uh. but Fincher was there. He can speak from firsthand experience. <laughs> there right. you go. There you go. All right, I'm going to go next. Um... So as I was building this list, I was thinking about some of my favorite directors of the last decade, and uh, and who I would like to see see them be you know work with. And then I was also thinking, you've got so many directors that are great because they can do anything. And so I tried to come up with the ones that are kind of more, they've got kind of a niche, like they have they have like their thing. And so I was like, okay, if they do their thing. What actor that hasn't been a part of that yet would fit perfect in that little bubble? And so that that's kind of where I where I landed on because I, like I said, there's some great directors out there, but I mean they they're great because they could work with pretty much anybody and they could fit into the universe of what they have. So um so I went with with more of the niche guys and who I think would be really interesting to see in those in those uh, moments. Okay, so my number five. There's no one more niche than Quentin Tarantino. So Quentin Tarantino, according to him, he's got one movie left because he's only going to make 10 and then he's going to quit. 
And and who is the most Tarantino type actor that we have not seen yet in a Tarantino movie? I don't know if this necessarily is the most Tarantino type actor, but I could see him being fascinating in a Tarantino movie just because of how contemplative he is and how, you know, thought-provoking Matthew McConaughey. I want to see Matthew McConaughey in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like like think it, it would be like if if Tarantino had made True Detective. Like that this would be this would be quite quite an interesting combo to watch and I think it would really work. I like it. I, I could see it. I, I could picture him in a lot of roles like throughout Tarantino's career too. But I could see it. I it makes sense, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, All yeah. Right. Well like Killer Joe is almost a Tarantino movie. And his character in that movie is like a Tarantino character, so I could I could definitely see it. Yeah, yeah. And and Todd, don't you agree? It, it I mean, True Detective is like is that kind of character that he's got in there? Yeah, I mean, it could have been a Tarantino long form kind of kind of series. I mean, I could see him like writing a season of that uh, once he retires from movies or something. Yeah, yeah. All right, Todd, number five. Okay, so my number five, not that we don't mention him ever, is Nicolas Cage uh, combining with Nicholas Winding Refn in some sort of, oh, like, yes. criminal <laughs> underground heist thriller, is what I'm thinking. Like, because Cage has been kicking around some, like, crazy scripts for the last, like, decade or so, but Nicholas Winding Refn is one of those guys that he would absolutely fit into there, and he would be able to flip out and not completely stand out from the rest of the cast. Like, if you picture him in, like, The Neon Demon... Or only God forgives, or I could even see him being like the Cranston role in Drive. Uh, I th- I think it'd be astonishing stuff to watch, and they should make some like violent, wild, really trippy, kind of mind f- movie. And I think Cage would like be able to do his thing and still like ma- like maybe like maybe actually given a real performance for once. Like you can see in Mandy the the kind of that this is sort of the the ty- style of movie that I'm thinking. Yeah, and uh, and. Cage was amazing in that, so yeah. If Nick Cage and Nicholas Winding Refn combined, the world might explode, but it would be an awesome movie. <laughs> Maybe that's the movie. The I, world is exploding. I mean, I thought that Mandy was directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, so... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're telling me it wasn't? Okay. Yeah, Alright, Zach, number was. four. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm cheating a little bit with my number four because this actually was announced as a real movie earlier this decade, but it got shelved for whatever reason, so I'm hoping they resume it in the 2020s, and that is a biography of uh, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, and you know the original project was going to star Josh Gad as Roger Ebert. We're definitely keeping that intact. That's, that's perfect casting. <laughs> yes. And the original project was also not so much about Gene Siskel. It was more about Ebert's days before being a film critic and how he hung out in the sexploitation industry in L.A. and when he teamed up with Russ Meyer to make Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And this movie had Will Ferrell cast as Russ Meyer, and I'm okay with that. But I do wish that this biopic would go also into um, Ebert's... uh, famous uh, collaboration with Gene Siskel. Gene Siskel was really hard to cast. I had to go with someone who could play Jewish and bald. So I decided to go with Jesse Eisenberg. I don't know. I could see that maybe work. He's, you know, you could got to play a little older, I guess. Um, and then uh, maybe Octavia Spencer as Chaz in the later scenes in the movie when he's near death. Um, and this movie would have to be directed by Werner Herzog. 
because Ebert loved Herzog movies. If we, if Octavia we... Spencer as Chaz is perfect. However, I would say Siskel should be Bill Hader. Okay, that works. That's I could. Bad. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, I, Siskel was hard hard to cast, but I yeah, I'm 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 malleable with that. If anyone had Werner Herzog and Josh Gad in their uh, pool for this, uh, you're the winner. <laughs> this is why we don't try to predict Zach's list. <laughs> I love it. Uh, <clears throat> all right, number four for me. Um, so a couple a couple spots on my list. I I looked at um, I looked at the actor first, and thought, okay. This actor needs a breakthrough. Uh, this actor needs something different to spark their career to something greater. And so the actor I, I was thinking of here is Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne mm. Johnson, I feel Dwayne Johnson is a really good actor, but he is kind of content just making millions and millions of dollars with his movies instead of actually, you know, acting. Um, but he can do some really, really great things. So he needs to, he needs a partnership with someone that's going to push him outside his box. I think he's, he could get an Oscar nomination if he does this. I've got him teaming up with Spike Lee on the next Spike Lee joint. I, well, I could see it. It depends on what kind of, what kind of story it is, but yeah. I, he just needs something to be taken seriously. Like right now he's, he's just the action movie guy that's going to make, that he's going to cash his $20 million check on and move on. He needs something, he needs something that he can dig his teeth into and show his acting chops. Okay. Well, I hate to break this to you, Terry, but back in the mid two thousands, he did try to become a serious actor. And Todd may know what I'm talking about in a movie called Southland Tales directed by Richard E. Kelly, which is one of the worst movies of the decade, like a hilariously bad movie. So I don't know if we want to revisit that. Maybe people now have memory loss about that movie. So maybe we can resume conversations about it. But that movie gives me some nightmares. I've never seen it, but yeah, he needs to be a little bit more tongue in cheek kind of thing. It needs to be like Pain and Gain is like as serious as it gets. And he's really good in that kind of thing. He is good in Pain and Gain. That's true. Anyway, I, I just want to see him do do something a little more a little more serious, something he can really sink his teeth into. Because I think in every one of his movies, he has those moments like, "Dude, you actually got some great acting chops here." If you just lean into that a little more, and he may have done a horrible movie back in the two thousands, but I mean, maybe that was just a horrible script and a horrible director, and maybe not his fault. Well, so I mean, yeah, those things are probably true. But I mean, and we did see Spike <laughs> Lee direct Tony Siragusa to a pretty awesome performance. So I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe true. it's just the right role. And, and I mean, you look at you look at something like Ballers. I I, I still say Ballers is his best, uh, the TV show on HBO that he did. Um, and Pain and Gain is very good also. But he he's got it in there. He just needs he just needs the push. And I think collaborating with a filmmaker like Spike Lee would get him there. All right, Todd. Uh, my number four, I went with just like two very niche people that I don't know why they haven't worked together before, and that is Zoe Deschanel. And I want her to be in, like, a classic Hollywood true story thing, directed by Taika Waititi. Because Waititi is an outsider, and, like, to him see him make, like, a, a biopic in Hollywood or something, like, if it was about, like, Barbara Stanwyck or Audrey Hepburn or something, would be interesting enough. But to have Zoe Deschanel and all of her charm in there, like, she could have easily been in Jojo Rabbit, she could have been, like, a vampire or whatever, she could have been in Hunt for the Wilder People. 
this like the quirkiness of those movies is uh, is exactly the type of stuff where Zoe Deschanel really excels, and but it has like some sort of warmth that it would it's different than if she was in like a Wes Anderson movie or something. I I think these two people are meant to work together, and. I mean, it's really outside the box choice, but I, I, I could, I mean, I could already see it. And I don't know why they haven't already made a movie. I was trying to think of someone good to pair with Taika Waititi, and he's just so out there. I couldn't come up with a good one. Zoe would be an interesting one, though, for sure. I like it. All right, Zach, number three. Okay, so number three is. Um, Okay, it's based on... I was listening to the Office Ladies podcast hosted by Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey. Terry, nice. you should listen to it. It's a really great podcast. They do basically... I subscribe to it, but I haven't listened to it yet. I mean, it's like our deep dives, but every deep dive of an episode of The Office. It's really, really fun to watch if you're, or listen to if you're a fan of the show. And so they were talking about how Mindy Kaling was casted on The Office. And they, so Greg Daniels, the, the showrunner, I think, saw Mindy Kaling in a off-Broadway production of a play that she wrote with her writing partner named, uh, let me look up her name, Brenda Withers. And the play was called Matt and Ben. And Mindy played uh, Ben Affleck and Brenda Withers played Matt Damon. And it was uh, a story of how they wrote the screenplay to Goodwill Hunting in 1995 in Boston. And there's a great picture of Mindy wearing like a Red Sox cap in like a, a Macintosh computer circa 1995 typing the script. Um, and Brenda also was on The Office. She was on the episode of The Booze Cruise, where she plays that sort of corporate liaison who also gets drunk on the boat. Um, yeah, this needs to be a movie, okay? That, that is an, I mean, that's an awesome premise. I say even extend it. Have Mindy and Brenda grow old as Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck. Like, let's get into the J-Lo stuff. Let's get into, um, maybe, maybe there's a scene with the informant or the Martian. I, I love it. Let's go, let's go beyond their career. But I really love the idea of, of looking at their friendship and, and their Oscar win. And, uh, you know, there's only one person that could direct a movie like this where we have a gender swap and... And uh, that is Todd Haynes. Beautiful. That's amazing. Matt and Ben. Yeah. You're telling me you wouldn't watch that? That's that's perfect, I think. The script's already written. <laughs> See, I, I want to listen to the Office Ladies podcast, but I want to go back through and like watch the episode, then listen to the podcast, and watch the episode and listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird and kind of jarring listening to Angela Kinsey on the podcast because she's nothing like Angela in, on the show. Oh, no, nothing. She's, like, <laughs> funny and sarcastic and, and, you know, sometimes vulgar. Not, uh, not, nothing at all like Angela on The Office. It's a relief. I always, thought it was, I always thought it was funny to find out that those two became, like, best friends throughout the making of The Office. And, like, really? They are the exact opposite in the show. But, yeah, it's pretty funny. Okay, number three on my list. Uh, this is another one I, that I think, I think it's like the perfect melding of, of director at the right time in an actor's career. Um, Daniel Craig is coming off of Bond. He's finishing that up by the end of the year this year. Um, he he he's had some quirky characters with uh, with uh, Logan Lucky and and then Benoit Blanc and Knives Out. Now he's got to go to the max and make an extreme, just quirky, British crime thriller. He's got to work with Guy Ritchie. Mm. Daniel Craig and Guy Ritchie, uh, he could be, he could like star in a movie. 
Um, he could be like the weird Hugh Grant character in The Gentleman and pull pull off something like that, but that's kind of leaning in. He That's what he needs to do. He needs to go completely off the rails and do some crazy, coked-out Guy Ritchie crime thriller in, in, uh, in Britain. That's what I want. Yeah, that, that should have happened like 20 years ago. I know! <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Alright, Todd, um, what's your number three? Uh, so my number three, I have a director going back to their roots, sort of. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Catherine Bigelow making a sci-fi movie again. Uh, because that's really where she, where she made her name. And uh, the person I'm putting in the movie is Josh Brolin. Because I feel like he probably could have been in like any of her movies so far, and but her okay, so her last few movies have been like really grounded in reality. But the sci-fi movie platform gives you the uh, the uh, the ability to tell the same kinds of stories or, or have give similar messages while being more commercially viable than making Detroit or The Hurt Locker. And Josh Brolin is like the perfect actor for this. I think he's one of the best like maybe two or three actors in the world at not overdoing it while still being watchable, and that's the kind of person you need in these kind of movies. Josh Brolin and Catherine Bigelow making a sci-fi movie. I don't know if he's the lead, but he should absolutely be in the movie as one of the principal characters. That That's an interesting one, too. I, th- I was trying to think of a, of a good Catherine Bigelow one, but I feel like she's a little too broad in, in the types of movies she can make to find someone that like needed to be in that niche. That's why I didn't, so... Yeah. Yeah. All right, Zach, number two. Okay, so um, I, uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman died this decade. That's tragic. Um, maybe everyone's favorite. I mean, it's hard to pick one favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman character, but uh, I think one that we can all agree on is Lester Banks. I think we can all agree that he probably deserved his own movies. So I think in the 2020s, we need a Lester Banks biopic. And the only actor that could play, uh, could imitate uh, P- PSH's inimitable performance as Lester Banks is the one and only Jesse Plemons, who has not been mentioned somehow on this podcast yet. Um, <laughs> I want to see a Lester Banks biopic. We could have, how about John Cho as Ben Fong Torres? Huh? Huh? That works. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so th- this, is Crazy. The con- this is the controversial part. <laughs> yeah, I know, what my, I know what my woman tells me to get to work. Um, so... It's not going to be directed by Cameron Crowe <laughs> because because Cameron Crowe would make it into such conventional we bought a zoo garbage. No offense to you, Terry. Couldn't do it. Now, he could write the screenplay to it because he lived the experience. But I'm saying this is written by Cameron Crowe, directed by Gus Van Sant. Give it that kind of gritty, maybe some alcohol and drugs in there. Give it some maybe orgy scenes in the 70s that Lester Banks probably went to, even though he was very uncool. And, um, yeah, that's a – I mean, you're telling me the three of us wouldn't be there opening night for the Lester Banks biopic? Well, it would definitely, oh, be, totally a, would. It would definitely be a think piece. I, <laughs> I, I think it should be directed by Damien Chazelle. I think that that's who you should have gone with. With the soundtrack by the Guess Who. Yeah. Or Iggy Pop! Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh. As soon as you mentioned, um, you know, Lester Bangs, I was like, he's going Jesse Plemons. That's where he's going with this. Well, of course. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, I, I could have just said, what, what was my, 
my my uh, my brother my brother drama with what was it Todd? It was Timothy Oliphant, Michael Weatherly, and and like Chris Pine. Yeah, like they yeah. should all play brothers in a movie at some point. Yeah, I didn't do it. I didn't do that though. Josh Duhamel. Okay, too. he could be. A oh cousin. yeah, that's another good one. That's another good one. All right, number two on my list. Uh, all right, I'm. This is another one where where uh, an actor needs you know needs the push to to work outside outside the comfort zone and uh, and get something that's been eluding them. I'm looking at Saoirse Ronan. Uh, she's 26 years old. She's already got four Oscar nominee nominations. Probably a fifth this year with Ammonite. Um, may, maybe she wins this year, but I think she's not gonna win until she really like. Everything she's been nominated for has kind of been in in the same box, right? Little Women and Brooklyn, and uh, and I mean Lady Bird is probably a little bit outside of that, but she needs to go really outside of that. She's Irish. Let's go with like the crazy Irish guy. She needs to pair up with Martin McDonough. I mean Martin McDonough has showed in his last movie that he got two people Oscars and a third one a nomination. He makes these crazy, like, in-your-face kind of comedy drama things with Three Billboards in Bruges, Seven Psychopaths. Throw Saoirse Ronan and her acting chops into a Martin McDonough movie and script, and she's guaranteed an Oscar. I mean, that does seem like uh, an odd pair that would probably, yeah, it would reap rewards for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I was just like, okay... Martin McDonough's Irish. Who could I pair with Martin McDonough? It's like, oh, Saoirse Ronan, this is her Oscar. <laughs> Can we get Glenn Hansard in there somewhere? Or John Carney? He can do the soundtrack. He can do the soundtrack. Okay. Uh, all right, Todd. Number two. Uh, so this one seems like almost too good to be true. I'm going, uh, I'm having Jennifer Jason Lee be in a suburban drama directed by the one and only Todd Field. Because Todd Field needs to make movies again, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen two more like authentic suburban dramas than In the Bedroom and Little Children, which are two of the best American movies ever made. And but Jennifer Jason Lee is like so good at being able to create this like feeling of being ordinary, and and she like she would have been better than Kate Winslet in Little Children, and I'm like the biggest fan in the world of that movie, and. I, 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 it's a pair that, uh, that already should have happened, and, uh, I know that Todd Field has, like, kicked around some projects, he's still supposed to make some, like, neo-western kind of thing with Daniel Craig at some point, but that's been going on for, like, almost ten years, but this is the kind of movie, we need another suburban drama directed by Todd Field, and Jennifer Jason Lee will be the perfect actress at any point in any of those movies. Yeah, so, I like it. you know, we have, like Todd and I created this metric where, like, how many miles would you travel to go see that movie? I would probably travel at least 300 miles to see that movie. I would go to, like, <laughs> see, you know, Des Moines, Iowa to watch it. But see, here's, here's the problem. And, and, and that's Des Moines, too. I mean, that's, that's saying something. Here's the problem, Todd. <laughs> the problem I have with this pick is, as fascinating as that movie sounds, I really want to see a movie about Todd Field over the last 15 years. Like, what's he been doing? Has, is he living in a base? Is he, I picture him like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Last Hour of the Aviator. Like, he's sitting in some screening room naked, pissing in a Coke bottle, and his hair all grown out because all of his studios have rejected his ideas or something. I don't know. But where is he? What's he been doing? 
Well, I mean, it's, it'd be similar to watching, like, what uh, Terrence Malick was doing for, you know, 20 years between his, between his two movies. And that's true. And 90s. God, can I change my number one now? Because, you know, that would be a great movie, too. Because Terrence so Malick... Did, did you ever hear the story of... T- Terrence Malick was, like, teaching philosophy in, like, Norway. And randomly, Martin Sheen ran into him in, like, Oslo in, like, 1987. They, they literally walked past each other on the street. That is beautiful. <laughs> who, who plays Terrence Malick in a movie? Um, Banksy. <laughs> yes. Mic drop there. Okay. I'm looking at Todd Field's uh, IMDb page, and it says he's got. Uh, there are three projects that have not been released. One is uh, in pre-production. He's got a TV series that has been announced, and then another movie. It says. Abandoned. I've never seen that on IMDb before. <laughs> wow. Right? Isn't that intriguing? Don't you want to know about that? Well, there's not a good story America's there. Last Prisoner of War. And yeah, it's it just says its status is abandoned. Pre-production is the creed of violence, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I read that book, like, maybe like eight years ago because he was supposed to make that into a movie and it never got made. <laughs> I, I doubt it ever will. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, in Amer- apparently America's Last Prisoner of War, it's it said on the page, it's been abandoned and the last time the, this page was updated was October of 2015. <laughs> so, I don't know why it's still there. <laughs> wow. But yeah, abandoned on IMDb. I don't know. All right, Zach, number one. All right, well, if the Terrence... That you actually put yeah, down. <laughs> if the Terrence Malick movie isn't going to be my number one, I actually did have a number one, and this is based on a true incident that happened on September 11, 2001. So while the Twin Towers had collapsed and the world was in chaos, three people were very, very nervous, and they decided to call each other up on the phone, and they decided to rent a car and escape New York City. And those three people were none other than Michael Jackson, Marlon Brando, and Liz Taylor. This is a true story. And so uh, the way the story Uh goes, they rented the car and they drove out to like the middle of Ohio because they thought, you know, in all of their just total self-absorption that the terrorists were also going to come after them. So um, they were the only ones in this car. So we never, now, you know, all three of them are dead. We don't really, well, is Liz Taylor dead? Yeah, I think she's dead. Um, Yes. We, we will never really know what happened on that journey, that wonderful journey to the middle of Ohio with three of the biggest egos um, of all time. So uh, this actually was in development to be made into a movie, and the casting, I think, is pretty inspired. Uh, Marlon Brando was going to be played by Brian Cox. Perfect. Uh, Liz Taylor was going to be played by Stockard Channing. A+. Now, the Michael Jackson role, this was weird, but I kind of like it, actually, if you think about it. Joseph Fiennes. Not, not the first person you'd think of, but it's almost like this is a, you know, this is WTF world that we're living in in, in the 2020 movies. I, I would want to see that. That, that adds to the, the, the allure of it. Also, Michael Jackson was sharing a room that morning with Corey Feldman. That, there's got to be a good backstory there. And Corey Feldman in the movie would be played by Ansel Elgort. And there is only one director who could do this, one director who could conflate those egos uh, and superstardom, and that is Harmony Corrine. This was a project say that. born to be directed by Harmony Korine. I don't have a good title, but uh, you know, may- maybe The Escape. It was either Larry Clark or Harmony Korine. It was <laughs> there are only two options for that. Yeah, pretty much. 
Okay, now actually, Zach, what you're talking about, this was actually made. Was it? Yeah, but it was never seen. It was never seen because there was so much backlash at Joseph (laughs) Fiennes being cast as Michael Jackson. Uh, it It was to be an episode of a TV show called Urban Myths. And uh, and yeah, the episode was called Elizabeth, Michael, and Marlin, and and uh, yeah, unaired episode about the road trip of the three of them from New York City to Los Angeles after nine oh, eleven. Was it directed by Harmony Corrine? It was directed by Ben Palmer. I don't even I don't know. Sounds like a but you look you look at the pictures of of Joseph Fiennes. It's a little a little creepy, but yeah, there was such a big backlash by by Joseph Fiennes being cast that um, they had to abandon the project and not let it see the light of day. Well, so it's like the, you know, the day the clown cried or something. So let's, let's remake exactly. it. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Let's remake it. Give it to the mass audiences. Come on, Harmony. I know you can do it. Let the people decide. Yep. <laughs> uh, Get in libraries. Yeah. All right. Uh, number one for me, um, I'm going with, Okay. You you have you have the the like hottest name, uh, the hottest like African American writer director, with the hottest African American actor in Hollywood right now. Jordan Peele needs to pair with Mahershala Ali for a film. I mean, you've got Jordan Peele coming mm-hmm. off of two huge hits. You've got his, his Oscar win for writing. Um, uh, uh, well, gosh, why did just get out? And then you've got Mahershala Ali won two Oscars in like the last two things he made, uh, in Moonlight and in Green Book. I mean, it, it's bound to happen, and you know it's going to be magic when it does. And um, I mean, Mahershala feels like he's going to win an Oscar no matter what he does at this point. And Jordan Peele, his his two times out so far, have proven that he's just gold. So. Put the two together, that's like the biggest movie of the decade. That's what I'm going with. Jordan Peele, Mahershala Ali. I'm sure it'll happen. It's, it's <laughs> got to, right? It has to. That was the other thing. I'm like, this is this sounds too good not to happen. Well, right, so Mahershala Ali, other than those two movies, he did what? Uh, Hidden Figures he was in. Yeah, and he did uh, True Detective. Yeah. And that, what's a battle angel? Oh, he, Alita, Alita Battle Angel. But that's another franchise that he's starting, so that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he, he's gonna he's gonna be the new Blade in the uh, in that. Um, he was a voice in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But yeah, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that, that that's a perfect choice. Yeah, they they will they will work together at some point, I'm sure, as long as Jordan Peele continues directing. Right. Yeah. I mean, he he's got his hands in so many things now that hopefully he gets he he still pumps out a movie or two every couple of years. All, all right, right, Todd, number one. My number one. So I know. I mean, we're all big fans of Jim Carrey, and we all want to see him do dramatic work because that's when he is at his best. And the only director I could think of that turns more act like comedic actors into dramatic actors is Vince Gilligan. So I want them to pair together to make some sort of western or something. Uh, like he like Vince Gilligan turned Bob Odenkirk into a serious actor. He turned Bill Burr into a serious actor in Breaking Bad as well. And he turned he had this like YouTube 
com comedy guy that gave just a heartbreaking performance in like two episodes of Better Call Saul. Vince Gilligan is a perfect actor to, to let Jim Carrey do Jim Carrey stuff while still being restrained at the same time. And uh, Carrey's done some drama stuff recently, but I mean, either it's either like never the right kind of movie or it's like Joel Schumacher movies and stuff like that. But Jim Carrey and Vince Gilligan absolutely should pair together, and it would be something to see. Vince Gilligan has only directed one movie, and it was obviously an amazing movie last year, El Camino. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of what Carrey would play. Maybe play like a sheriff or something. He's never done a western of any kind, but I think he would be amazing in that kind of role. Vince Gilligan and Jim Carrey. Give me I, that. I was trying to think of someone to pair with Vince Gilligan, and that's a great pick. But, however, I will say, trying to picture Jim Carrey in a Western, all I'm seeing is, like, Timothy Oliphant and Justified. <laughs> I mean, is that a problem? That was a really no, popular show. No, it's not show. a problem. But, but that, that's, that's just the visual I'm getting is, is you know, 6'4", 180 pounds, big teeth, kind of gangly, with a cowboy hat on. <laughs> so he's in that brother drama, too. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> What do you think, Zach? Uh, I like it. I I could also see it being a terrible, terrible direct-to-Netflix movie. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. Vince Gilligan has never done anything terrible, so I think that that's that's got to be the key. But if it's like Tom McCarthy directing, that forget it. I'm out. <laughs> All right, uh, Zach. Any honorable mentions? Yeah, I had a couple. Um, the oldest person who ever lived was some French lady named Jean Calvert, and she lived to be 122, and I think it would be a cool movie to be made about her life. Young Jean would be played by Shirsha Ronan, and adult Jean would be played by Eva Marie Saint, who I believe is still alive, and it would be directed by the guy that directed that old lady movie with um, uh, Blythe Danner, that I couldn't remember the title of, and I couldn't remember his name either, but I think Todd knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> what old lady movie? Um, the one where she has the relationship with Sam Elliott, and then he bites the dust at the end. Spoiler alert. Martin Starr is also in it. I guess oh, I could yeah, look that, it that up. Yeah, that was but... Brett Healy. That's the guy. Oh. With the, the, the okay. Guy yeah, you're right. In my dreams. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mentioned Brett that Healy. movie earlier. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You didn't know I, that I that was Brett Healy? full circle without even realizing it. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, okay. So, I also had, um... Uh, the Postmaster General Will Hayes is responsible for the creation of the the production code and the rate and like uh, you know banning movies because they had co bad content and uh, that would be a good biopic made by Lin Manuel Miranda and the cast of Hamilton to do it all in in verse that would be fun and then my last one was a movie about the making and the founding of Net Netflix it would be called The Social Netflix with Michael Sarah as Reed Hastings directed by David Fincher. And written by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> of course. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So honorable mentions for me. I had. I also had uh, an Aaron Sorkin thing because it's like, okay, who do I want to pair with Aaron Sorkin? Uh, I went with John Hamm. I think he would be a great Aaron Sorkin actor. Mm. Um, uh, I, I want the Coens to start making decent movies again. And I thought, what would be a great person to pair with the Coens? And I picked Christoph Waltz. Uh, I mean, I feel like what makes him a great Tarantino actor would make him a great Coen, Coen Brothers actor. Um, 
I've got Damien Chazelle and Auli'i Cravajo. Wow, that was a lot easier to say a beer and a half ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So, yeah, I think that that would be a great combo. Um, Greta Gerwig, I I tried to think of someone to pair with her, and I went with Chloe Grace Moretz because I feel like she's an amazing actress that just needs the right director and the right script to actually be something great. Um, I said, uh, let's hear the Safdie brothers and Ryan Reynolds, I thought would be kind of a fun combination. I mean, they, they've done some great things with Robert Pattinson and Adam Sandler. I think Ryan Reynolds is right up that Maybe alley. Maybe brothers and Jim Carrey. <laughs> there we go. Now we're talking. I thought of a lot of guys that I couldn't really pair. Like I tried to pair someone with Ryan Johnson, but he's a little bit too much of a chameleon or, or mm-hmm. Vince Gilligan. Yorgos Lanthimos, I couldn't think of a good one for, um, I, I'm really interested in what Mariel Heller does next, but she's done such a wide range of stuff I couldn't find anybody. But the last one I want to mention, my the last honorable mention, is I want to see James Cameron do something other than Avatar. That's really all I want. I mean, he, he's got like three of them coming out this next decade, but and, which means we probably won't see it, but just do something else. Anything? Or not Terminator or Battle Angel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He Well, he... He, like, produces those. I want him to actually, you know, create his own stuff that's yeah. not... Yeah, I agree. ...spending 15 years on a on an Avatar sequel. So, there's mine. It would probably right, have to involve being on a boat, right? Or, like, a, a submarine, maybe? Submarine, yeah. I feel like that's where he's submarine. been the last 10 years. Probably. Probably. All right, well, my honorable <laughs> mentions. I have, I, I want Gene Hackman, Jack Nicholson, and Sean Connery to just unretire. So them and any director are on my list. Uh, I also have Leslie Mann being in some soapy drama directed by Todd Haynes, because I feel like they would be a really cool combo, and Leslie Mann is a better actress than people give her credit for. I want Steve-O to be in a movie directed by Todd Salons. Like, really, yes. Really awkward, dark comedy. I think that would be amazing, and I would, I, yeah, I would drive at least two hundred miles. Story of his life, that. just to get the biopic of his life. That's I, beautiful. Done. Uh, I also want Ben Foster or Tom Holland to be in a Chester Bennington biopic directed by Darren Aronofsky. And Tom Holland is Chester Bennington. Wow. Or Ben Foster. I mean, either of them. Ben Foster makes more sense. Tom <laughs> Holland would be interesting. Uh, and then just directors and actors I want to see paired together. I want Jonah Hill to be in an Alexander Payne movie for obvious reasons. I want Viola Davis to be in a black exploitation movie directed by Quentin Tarantino because I mean that seems like it probably should have happened already. Adam Sandler in a David Fincher movie and Edward Norton I think is the perfect James Gray actor. And I I mean I I mean I probably wouldn't be a very popular movie, but I, I feel like I would watch that like ten times. Yeah, that would make like twenty dollars at the box office. <laughs> but it would be amazing. <laughs> and all twenty would come from Todd. <laughs> yes. If I saw it ten times, it'd make more than twenty bucks. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, let's let's uh, let's try to uh, to attempt the impossible here. Adam's list of his favorite director actor combos that might pop up over the next decade. <laughs> Zach, what do you got? All right, my number five was The Almost Sideways Movie, starring Zachary Quinto, Alexander Sarsgaard, and Lucas Hedges, written and directed by Kevin Wilmot. You can pick who gets cast as who. Um, <laughs> the uh, Number four is... An- I like it. Uh, animated Batman, but voiced by Will Forte, and from the directors of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. 
Uh, number three is an Ari Aster. Hold on, hold on. Do you mean Will Arnett or Will Forte? Oh, um, Will, Will Forte. <laughs> Let, let's make it interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I confused better. my wills. Okay, let's, let's make less sense. All right, good. Um, number three is an Ari Aster remake of Friday the 13th starring Florence Pugh. <clears throat> Number two is Kill Bill Volume 3 with Tarantino, Perla Janey, no, Haney Jardin, and Daryl Hannah. And number one is a biography of Chadwick Boseman and with young Chadwick being played by Ashton Tyler, who played young Tashala, and it would be directed by Ryan Coogler. I'm assuming okay. he, he, he did this list in the last 24 hours. <laughs> Probably. Let's see here. He sent it to me uh, yesterday, or last night. Okay. Yeah, Okay. So, uh, all right, here's my list. Uh, number five, I've got the Russo brothers paired with Tom Hardy. Uh, number four, Ryan Coogler and John David Washington. Uh, number three, Martin Scorsese and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, number two, Luca Guadagnino and Ryan Gosling. And number one, Damien Chazelle and Michael B. Jordan. Okay. I mentioned some of the same names in mine. I have uh, Brooklyn Prince and Steven Spielberg in an E.T. style sci-fi movie. Uh, Ryan Ryan Gosling and Martin Scorsese in a mob movie. Daniel Kaluuya in Spike Lee for some sort of biopic. Adam Driver and Damien Chazelle in a mo- uh, some sort of music movie. And Charlie Theron and Ryan Johnson in an action movie. Okay. Here we go. Um, all right, here's, here's what he says. He says, um, let's be honest. I was off last time we did power rankings. Yeah, you were. Um, <laughs> he, he, he said he should have said Tony Kebbell instead of Andy Serkis for Planet of the Apes. Also should have said that I wasn't expecting Brooklyn Prince to be as good as she was. And that's why she was on the list. Anyway, whatever. Can we stop talking right, about that... Brooklyn Prince? I mean, how... how <laughs> let's get real for... Is this now the Brooklyn Prince podcast? I mean... <laughs> All right. Uh, with that said, this was a fun project that I think I have better ideas for. Okay. Uh, honorable mention, he says... Uh, let's hear. Winston Duke, Lakeith Stanfield, and Issa Rae for, in a Barry Jenkins film. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg pairing with Wes Anderson. Now, that'd be good. Yeah. Uh, how hasn't that happened yet? Um, Benicio Del Toro and the Coen Brothers. Oh, that's good, too. Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. Um, Mahershala Ali and Chad Stahelski in MCU Blade film. And, uh, Samara Weaving, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, slash Matt Bettinelli, Open, Tyler Gillett. Ready or Not directors. Okay. So the directors of Ready or Not was Samara Weaving, Jamie Lee Curtis, a slasher horror road trip movie. Okay. Okay. Anyways. Alright, so his top five. Number five, Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler reunite for a Kobe Bryant di- uh, biopic. I like it. Uh, number four, Adam Driver and Riz Ahmed in a Christopher Nolan heist film. Uh, number three, DiCaprio De- De- DiCaprio, De Niro, Pesci, and Jesse Plemons in a Martin Scorsese... Uh, mob film. Um, number two, Seth Rogen, Lakeith Stanfield, Riz Ahmed, and Winston Duke in a Safdie Brothers movie, Jewish mob leader takedown film, or some type of movie where Rogen is a homeless rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
And number one, Lupita Nyong'o, Jason Mitchell, Winston Duke, Daniel Craig, Ryan Johnson movie. Love to see this cast as uh, in a Knives Out sequel. Okay. I so have Ryan Johnson on my number one. <laughs> you had Ryan Johnson your number one. I had Scorsese I had, you mentioned, and I had somebody else. I had Scorsese, I had Michael B. Jordan, and I had Ryan Coogler. I, I had a Scorsese mob movie. <laughs> and what he said Adam Driver, right? Yeah, he said Adam Driver. Scorsese was DiCaprio, De Niro, Pesci, and Jesse Plemons. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how to score this. I don't this. know either. <laughs> I don't either. I mean, who got more name? First off, first off, Adam, it's Ryan Coogler, not Ryan Cogler. He's <laughs> you spelled it wrong. <laughs> show some respect. Um, yeah, show some respect. At least they weren't bees. Then we would have remembered the Adam Sandler cobbler movie directed by Thomas McCarthy. Anyways, I don't know why I went down that hole. Um, all right. I don't know how to score this either. I got three names right out of, what, ten? I got three out of ten, you could say. Because I, I got Michael B. Jordan, I got Ryan Coogler, I got Scorsese. I think this is the perfect opportunity to let Adam pick the next power rankings because none of us are clear winners. Obviously, we can't let Todd pick again anytime soon. But, <laughs> <laughs> but who gets the point? <laughs> well, Adam, um, right? I think I yeah I, I like his I like the Michael B Jordan Ryan Coogler Kobe biopic that sounds cool that was pretty good um, and and I like I like Seth Rogen as a homeless rabbi in a Safdie Brothers movie that sounds pretty awesome <laughs> and I like I like his his constant shoutouts to uh, Riz Ahmed like we should have said Riz Ahmed in something Riz Ahmed and Brooklyn Prince in a yeah. movie together perfect. <laughs> He had Riz Ahmed in two different picks, and Winston Duke was in two different ones, and a, and an honorable mention. I was really surprised nobody mentioned Peter Simonishek. Yeah, yeah, that is surprising. All right, so I think we're just we are uh, awarding no points, and may God have mercy on our souls, and uh, letting <laughs> letting Adam take the uh, take the topic for the next one. Let's go with that. I award you no points. That may have been the dumbest, most incoherent thing I've ever heard. But how does quote go? I don't even remember. Business ethics. At no point did you any come anywhere close to what could be considered a rational thought. Yeah. <laughs> Who's Chester Bennington? Is the it that I don't know that Park. is? Okay. I've been wondering that. I wrote the name down. I just... <laughs> It's not. I, I guess it's not bad. It's not surprising, but it's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. All right. His death. One of the five most horrifying moments of like uh, of me realizing a celebrity had died. <laughs> yeah, that one was bad. That one was bad. All right. Let's move on. It is time for trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Zach won last time. He assigned Todd and me some stuff to watch. Uh, Todd, I'm going to let you go first. What did you watch? I had to watch the 1993 
a movie by Gianni Emilio called The Stolen Children, and Zach reviewed it on the podcast a couple months ago, I think. It's about an unwitting policeman who is tasked with transporting these two kids to an orphanage after the mother's arrested for kind of like abuse and forcing the 11-year-old daughter to be a prostitute. It's about the journey of them and uh, how the policeman sort of wins them over despite the kids being really pessimistic about the situation and skeptical about the guy and the resilience of the kids throughout the, the process. It's supposedly Zach's new number one of 1993, which is saying quite Two, a bit. 92. Uh, 92. Oh, you put it in 92? Yeah. Okay. It's not going to be well, Schindler's List, sorry. But okay. It's not that well, good. So maybe it's number two of 93 then. Uh, <laughs> it it uh, is written by the writers of The Best of Youth, and you could tell by sort of the scope of the movie, it's definitely in the Italian neorealist tradition of bicycle thieves. However, it is definitely a movie of its time. Uh, the the score is so similar to Rain Man, it's almost distracting, and it also has a really similar uh, premise. It has a lot more common than you would think. Like one of the kids is kind of sickly, so it comes like a bonding point between the policeman and the and the child about him sort of becoming like a father figure. Uh, it's also hard not to think of Paper Moon. Uh, Italian movies I feel like have a lot higher floor than like French movies do. Like I love the look and the sound and the feel of Italian movies and the backdrops. And uh, it's well-directed, and the children give great performances. It's a little derivative, but it's it's a easily three-star movie. It, it, it's, I mean, I, I'm glad I watched it, but I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it number one of any year, necessarily. I did not know it was by the writer of The Best of Youth, swear to God. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's a great connection. I also never would have remotely thought of Rain Man. That music is a lot like Rain Man, though. That's a great point. Um, yeah, I love this movie. I've been, it's my favorite movie I've watched all summer. I think the last scene of this movie, and in particular the last line of this movie that the girl gives, I don't know if I've ever seen a more perfect way to end a movie than that. That, that, that is a magnificent way to end that movie. But I, I think it's a great movie. Um, it took me 15 years to watch. Wor- worth every, every year waiting for it. Thank you, Amazon Prime. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I could appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for me, I had to watch a movie that came up on the last podcast, or two podcasts ago, last time we did Power Rankings. It was a 2013 film, Enough Said, written and directed by Nicole Holofsener, uh, starring Julie Louis-Dreyfus, James Gandolfini, Catherine Keener, um, Tony Collette, Ben Falcone, um, Story of Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who's a masseuse who falls in love with uh, James Gandolfini's character named Albert, um, and uh, then finds out that one of her clients, who uh, Catherine Keener, who has been bitching about her ex-husband for a long time to her, actually is talking about the new love of her life and how she's going to deal with this bizarre kind of love triangle thing. At the same time, both of them have daughters that are getting ready to go off to college. Uh, I love this movie. It was such a good movie. It's so funny. Um, I think this is this is a perfect role for Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She's perfect in this. Um, I agree. It's completely not what you expect from James Gandolfini, uh, which is one of the reasons I love it, too. It, it shows some of his heart and some of his compassion. Um, that didn't show up very often in a lot of his roles. Um, but I, I've heard also that this is kind of closer to who he was as a person 
Like, he was just kind of this big softy, this huge teddy bear. Um, I find it interesting. This is one of two posthumous performances that James Gandolfini had. And it really kind of, those two performances, I've now seen both of them, and they range kind of the full gamut of what were his, what he was. I mean, you have Enough Said, and then you have The Drop, where he, he played a bar owner, kind of involved in not underground dealings and stuff like that. Um, both are amazing movies. Both are amazing performances. I'm giving this, it's three and a half stars. It's just so much fun. I love this movie. Um, yeah, super, super enjoyable. Yeah, it, it definitely hits the apex of a Terry movie spectrum where that it's enjoyable to not only people named Terry. It's a great movie. I, I agree. I think I think it's fascinating that uh, James Gandolfini works in a TV archive when him and Julia Louis-Dreyfus played two of the most iconic TV characters of all time. I thought that's kind of a meta commentary a little bit. And uh, another reason I love this movie is, all right, Terry, James Gandolfini in this movie is Joshua. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit your your old roommate my old, especially with the with the with the food habits and with the feet and uh there's some similarities going on a date in his pajamas yeah i can see it <laughs> shout out to pastor traxel out there i'm sure he's listening yeah <laughs> see i wasn't so sure terry was gonna like this movie because i looked it up and the only other hall of center movie terry had seen was friends with money and you give that like a one star so i was like maybe that's not his maybe that's not his bag <laughs> but uh it's good that you know yeah, you really this like one. that movie i don't even remember anything about friends with money i i think that's kind of a great movie i i love basically all of her movies and this is this is definitely one of the one of the top 93 hmm. i i i thought the the relationship between tony collette and ben falcone was really interesting um However, Tony Collette was like the fakest thing of the whole movie, but the conversations they would have about how to how to or not to file fire their housekeeper were pretty hilarious. <laughs> I feel like movies like this were more common in the '90s, and now they're very few and far between. Um, I I can't really imagine someone watching this movie and not liking it. I think it's one of those movies that again sort of has a universal appeal to it, and. Uh, I don't. It, it was sort of unfairly snubbed at the Oscars. I mean, it, it's never going to be remembered as a great Oscar movie, but it's a clever, smart, intelligent, really likable movie. I was just looking. So Julia Louis-Dreyfus got a Golden Globe nomination for this for actress and musical comedy, and James Gandolfini got a SAG no- nomination for supporting actor for it. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Very cool. All right. All right, those are the movies we're reporting on. Zach, trivia, what are we doing? All right, so we have three categories for trivia today. We're going to keep both of you on the line. Um, This is pretty simple. All we are doing is we're going through, at least for this first category, we're going to go through the filmography of Nicolas Cage, who we've talked about on this podcast a lot. And uh, I want you to tell me every Nicolas Cage movie that received at least one Oscar nomination. doesn't have to be an Oscar win, but Nicolas Cage movies that received at least one Oscar nomination. I know Todd may have a built-in advantage to this list a little bit, but I'm kind of thinking that uh, movies like Kiss of Death weren't really Oscar nominated. So, and whatever movie he was talking about with Kelsey Grammer <laughs> earlier in the episode, I don't think that got an Oscar nomination. Um, can, can Grand you give Isle. Us how many? How many? I have no clue, Terry. We're going to go until, <laughs> until we run out. <laughs> Oh, 
Gosh. Okay. Uh, and we're going to start with you, Terry. Uh, we'll go with uh, Leaving Las Vegas first. I'm pretty sure that got an Oscar nomination. That That is correct. <laughs> Adaptation. Adaptation is correct. Uh, Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart is correct. Uh, we're going with Moonstruck. Moonstruck definitely got some Oscar love. That is correct. Now is when it gets a little trickier. The Rock. The Rock was nominated for an Oscar. It, that is correct. Best Con sound. Air. Con Air. I want to say that was nominated for an Oscar, too, but I'm going to double song. check. Best song. Yeah, that sounds right. Yes, nominated for two Oscars, actually. Best song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it scares me that you know that. Um... Oh gosh! Now there this are. This is probably wrong, but I'm gonna go Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, was not nominated for an Oscar. Now I know of at least. I, I, I thought it might have gotten like a screenplay nom. I know of at least a couple others, Todd, but uh, I'll leave you to it. Uh, I mean, it's it's debatable on the rest of his movies. Uh... Peggy Sue Got Married. Peggy Sue Got Married is one of them. It was nominated, I believe, for a few Academy Awards. Uh, nominated for three Oscars. That is correct. Can you think of any more? Uh, Rumblefish. Rumblefish. Classic uh, Nicolas Cage movie. Um, I do not believe that was nominated for any Oscars. It was nominated for Golden Globe. Okay. The only other uh, uh, movie that I could find was The Cotton Club. Oh. Um, but there might be others out there. That's I did not have time to. Another couple of movies. Yeah, go go too much in this list. So with a score of four to three, Todd leads. We're going to go into our next category, which is we're going to do the same thing, except this time we're going to look for Oscar-nominated movies by another favorite actor we talk about on this podcast, and that is the one and only Mr. Greg Kinnear. I want you to give me. Greg Kinnear movies that received at least one Oscar nomination. And there are a lot of Greg Kinnear movies. I don't know how many Oscar nominations, but uh, <laughs> quite an extensive uh, filmography on, on his IMDb page. So um, this time we'll start with Todd. As good as it gets. As good as it gets is correct. Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine is correct. Yeah, that's where I'm at too, Todd. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I know. I, I will tell you there is at least one more for sure. <laughs> at least one more. I mean, I want to say that he had like some sort of action movie. I'm gonna say like the sum of all fears. The sum of all fears. I'm not even was sure he... if he's in the movie, but... <laughs> yeah, he was not in that movie. Okay. So that is that is incorrect. I almost feel like you should lose a point for that question. Um, that so... was not a question. That... Well, I mean, it sort of was a question. All right, or for that, that, uh, <laughs> that submission. All right, Terry, do you have any more? I'd be impressed if you, oh, got, if you got it. Um... 
Nothing is coming to me. Uh, I'm gonna go... Um, stroke of Genius. Stroke of Genius. Flash of about... Genius. Flash of Genius. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I had it wrong. <laughs> Flash of Genius. I knew well, it wasn't nominated, but I knew I had the title wrong. Stroke of Genius, the movie about Bobby Jones. <laughs> It might be. I, I wanna, think you might be right. I want to <laughs> say that Greg Kinnear was a part of the Oscar conversation for Best Actor in 2008 for Flash of Genius. So uh, I'm going to get. Did he get a. I want to say he got a, a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, he no, did not. He, didn't. He, he, uh, he was nominated at the Boston Film Festival. I'm still going to give Terry a half, okay. half point, though, because he was on the, <laughs> the, the Oscar Igloo shortlist back in 2008. The, the Greg Kinnear movie... Hey, that... shout out to Oscar Igloo sa- slash award circuit, which is uh, closing its doors in the next couple days. Oh, that's interesting. They're, yeah, they're... they're, uh, they're, they're uh, you mean editor award got, circuit? Uh, hired by, award yes. circuit, yeah. Their editor got hired by Variety as their new, uh, their new awards editor, so... Well, some uh, way to go. Way to go. Is it? It's Clayton Davis, right, Todd? Yeah, which is also yeah. the name of uh, the uh, character in The Wire that goes she. Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah Woodfield Jr. <laughs> Clayton Davis. Anyways, anyways, <laughs> shout so the, out to Clayton Davis and Oscar Igloo. The Good only uh, the only other Greg Kinnear movie that got Oscar nominations that I know of. View, listeners, tell me if I'm wrong. If there are others, but it, uh, Sabrina. Got two Oscar nominations. Didn't even know he's in that. I think he's one of the leads in that, actually. Um, but yeah. Okay, so with a score of five to four and a half, we enter our last category. So Todd barely leads. So I wanted to make our last category about the filmography of Peter Simonashek, another actor we talk about a lot. But seeing as I'm pretty sure he's only been uh, in one movie that got an Oscar nomination, I decided to broaden it a little bit. And instead, we're going to look at German movies that were nominated for Best Foreign Film. Um, It could be a movie that was submitted from Germany for Best Foreign Film and didn't get the nomination, or it can be a movie that was nominated, or even better yet, a a movie from Germany that won Best Foreign Film, because there have been several over the last couple decades. So... uh, in honor of the of the great Peter Simonashek, we made this category a little easier, or maybe a little harder. I don't know. You could read it either way. Um, okay, so Terry, you are the worst, Burr. You are. Yeah. You go first in this one. A movie from Germany that got a foreign film nomination or submission. <laughs> <laughs> or submission. Or submission. Good grief. There's only what like seventy five or eighty of them. Um, was well, so so does Tony Erdman count? Tony Erdman definitely counts. That is correct. Okay. See, uh, I can't remember the last German movie that was nominated, other than Tony Erdman. You got anything? I mean, not not immediately, no. <laughs> okay, well then we're gonna we're gonna say no, and we're going to Terry. Terry, for the win, can you pull this out? Uh, how about the lives of others? Uh, yeah, the lives of others was a was a pretty popular German film that that won best foreign film. So how about how about Downfall? Yeah, that that one too in two thousand four. Uh, they didn't win. Stonk. Well, it was not. It was nominated. Remember, I said it, it didn't have to win. It could have been nominated or submitted. Stonk. Stonk is also correct. Stonk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Das Boot. Das Boot. Well, there you go. 
is actually somehow not correct, even though I think it, it was nominated. It, I don't, it wasn't the sub, official submission from Germany, but I do believe it was nominated for Oscars. But uh, All right, that's all I have written down. Yeah, that's all you got I was just thinking down. of, I was thinking In the Fade. I forgot about that one. Oh, yeah, In the Fade was one of them. Never Look Away. Um, we have Barbara, The White Ribbon, The Edge of Heaven, Goodbye Lennon, Nowhere in Africa. Oh, um, yeah, remembering Haneke would have been good. Wings of Desire, Fitzcarraldo, oh. The Tin Drum. I guess I wasn't entirely sure that Von Dottersvark was German and he wasn't some other... Oh, I knew that was a German film, though. I knew that was a German film. So with a score of 8.5 to 5, Terry is the victor. Congratulations. Woo! We did almost run the first two categories by saying, like, four movies. <laughs> <laughs> so really you're saying There's that it should have just been about German films nominated for Oscars we could have skipped the first two categories or not do German and do like Italian movies or something <laughs> but yeah I would have had a better right. shot <laughs> I can't believe I, I, I won something based on like foreign film Oscar stuff it was because was of crazy. it was all due to Stonk it was all due to Stonk I don't know how you remembered that shit I, I, I actually tried to watch that once because the only place I could find it was free on YouTube. However, it has no uh, subtitles. It's just in German. So I was like, ah, that sucks. <laughs> I watched like the first minute. I'm like, dang it. I wanted to watch Stonk. I've right. watched, watched some foreign films without subtitles. It's, it's a fun experience. If you, if you know the language well enough. I know, I know your big one was uh, Innocence, right? You bought that in France. Yes, and uh, w w without English subtitles. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, let's move on. Quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Wrapping this up, I won, so I get to go first. I am going to quote... Uh, the one and only Ivan, which I talked about at the very, very, very beginning of this. And this is a, this is a joke told by Ruby, the baby elephant, voiced wonderfully by Brooklyn Prince. I just have to say her name one more time. Um, and the joke is, how can you tell if an elephant has been in the fridge? The footprints in the butter. I have no idea what the joke means, but that's the joke. <laughs> it's very deep. Fantastic. Yeah. So there you go. There's your joke. <laughs> Zach, what do you got? So my quote comes from the 44th president, Barack Obama, who tweeted the other day, Chadwick Boseman came to the White House to work with kids when he was playing Jackie Robinson. You could tell right away that he was blessed to be young, gifted, and black, which he's kind of paraphrasing from Chadwick's acceptance speech at the SAG Awards a few years earlier. To use that power to give them heroes to look up to, to do it all while in pain, what a use of his years. Rest in power, Chadwick Boseman. Great call. Great call. All right. Todd, what do you got? Uh, mine comes from Al Pacino in Any Given Sunday because the very first football game of college or NFL happened yesterday. It was Austin P. Let's go P. I actually bet on them and they lost, uh, but they were playing Central <laughs> Arkansas. But okay, so Al Pacino in Any Given Sunday says, on any given Sunday, you're going to win or you're going to lose. The point is, can you win or lose like a man? And I feel that way every time we do trivia, and I think the answer is no. 
well done. Well done. All right, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, yeah, make sure you check out uh, Daily Notes. Uh, he did just put out a, a new episode about Chadwick Boseman. Also looking at the New Mutants and the X-Men universe. Um, we'll be back at you next week with another deep dive of, I believe it's Best in Show, right, Zach? Uh, it is. Comedy classic. Yeah, Best in Show. We'll be deep diving next week. Until then, get some have fun watching movies. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.